the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware, where our mission is to inspire and enable all young people, especially those who need us most, to reach their full potential as productive, responsible, caring citizens. Now, please enjoy the podcast. The Boys and Girls Club has helped me through a lot. Welcome to the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware podcast, a show where I sit down with the past and present to talk about their journeys and how much the Boys and Girls Club has had an impact on their lives. It's helped me by providing me with a safe haven. I used to be very reserved, very quiet, very shy. But when I walked into the Boys and Girls Club, I had people there who cared about me and who cared about my life. And that, that made a really big impact on me. I'm your host, Blake the Brain, and this is a podcast about the people for the people. Can you hear me over there, Doc? I can hear you great. Listen, look, look, look right now, Doc, you gotta, you, you are a very busy man. <laughs> a very busy, look, I, look, we gotta make sure we, I'm gonna look at the phone for you, because you, you can't miss no calls, no, no, no texts. No, 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 no. Listen, I know you're busy. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a very, very special guest, um, someone I actually look up to. I'm not blowing no smoke up here. What did I tell you when I first saw you today? What was my question to you? You said, yeah, all right, he said, he said, are you making any money? That's right. Because you're way too talented Come on. to not be making any money, which I believe. And, and we can kind of dive into that because okay. um, I know a lot of us come and grew up, grow, growing up from where we grew up from, we don't think that we're worth it. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Not worth it, but we don't think that we can go out and attain, become millionaires and like really legitly make a great living. Not a good living just to get by, but a great living. Man, I got to tell you, we, we got to do it. Absolutely. We got to do it because there are a lot of other brothers out there counting on us, depending on us, and want to not only root for us, but want us to show others the way. That's one of the reasons I'm very proud to be here. Listen, we, we didn't even get to tell you who this, this gentleman was. Oh, sorry. Right? sorry. No, 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 no. That's good. That's good. I'm actually used to that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am here. Uh, first of all, welcome to the Boys and Girls Club podcast. I'm Blake the Brain, and I'm here with a very special guest, the 12th president here at Delaware State University, the man, the myth, the legend. Dr. Tony Allen. If we had an audience, I'm pretty sure they'd be be clapping. I mean, I know your time is very limited. I know I joked about you being busy, but you are a very busy man. And I appreciate you sitting down uh, to give me this interview. And I appreciate you just having um, that one-on-one that I can text you. Hey, Dr. Allen, I know you're busy. He was like, Blake, hey, here it is. Anytime, bro. Time. Absolutely. And I I ain't ain't tell you this, but I was going to camp out here all day. Like if you didn't answer He's the gonna phone, I was going. I'm like, We're I was going. We, we got to get this interview. I was going to get it. Um, but I don't how did it feel to rock six thousand people? Uh, you, you were rocking six thousand people yeah. um, with your voice. You didn't have. You weren't singing. You didn't have an instrument. Just being you. Look, you trying to interview on me. Look. <laughs> trying to have a little fun. Today. Have, no, it's absolutely, 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 have a little fun. Uh, honestly, being able to rock six thousand was. Uh, it was amazing. It was actually on my birthday. That was my birthday. Oh, actually. is that right? It was actually my birthday. And honestly, I'm not trying to get uh, too emotional, but it really felt. People kept asking, what are you doing for your birthday? I mm-hmm. said, battle the bands. Yeah. I just want to walk in my gift. And we talk about mm-hmm. making money. Mm-hmm. We're talking about using your gifts and talents. I was the type of person where I knew I had something. And I knew I had certain gifts and talents, but I wasn't allowing God to use me and allow that to, like, allow him to just go ahead and and push me in that direction, allow myself to allow him to use my talents. And now I would say, you know, you got to meet God halfway. He can give you the talent and ability, That's but right. you have to do the other half. Right. You know what I mean? So being able to rock the 6,000, it was, it was amazing. That was the best birthday gift, honestly, that I could ask for. Man, it was so beautiful. It right? was dope. It was, it was really so dope. Beautiful. You know, Delaware State showed up. You showed up. Dr. Tony Allen, he told me to battle the bands for HBCU week, which actually I can dive into the first question. Sure. I mean, actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to take it back a little bit. Is that okay? Okay. I'm going to take right. it back. 
I forget the year. I was a young kid, Norman Future Stars, playing basketball. Norman's right? Future Stars. Norman Future Stars. And That's when I could still play a little bit. Many hamburgers ago. Many hamburgers. <laughs> I, I never, but I never seen you play. But I knew you know you had all that stuff, and you were involved with youth and sports back then. I always knew you, but I didn't know you. You know, I just knew he was someone important because everybody was like, oh, the doctor Tony. It, it wasn't even doctor at the time. I don't no. think, right? Mm-mm. It's Tony Allen. To go from there to where you are now, the twelfth president. If you could sum it up really quickly, how has that journey been? Look, you know, I I. Didn't always talk about this, Blake, but uh, I'm learning as I'm getting older. You know, mother, teenage mom, like a lot of us. Father, long-term drug addiction. My father addicted today. And uh, man, my, my mother married, never finished the 11th grade. So I come by service real honestly, because uh, I can tell you that my parents poured, my step stepfather and mother poured into me in a way that they couldn't even see what was to come, they were just stepping out on faith. Mm -hmm. So regardless of where I've been, where I'm meeting really promising young black men through Norman's Future Stars or running the Urban League or even at Bank of America, I knew that my life couldn't just be about stuff. You know, my, my mantra is do well and be well. Do well and be well. So I do think you gotta get your paper but I do also think that that comes with a certain responsibility. So I feel like Delaware State is literally the best professional decision I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, it came at, a, uh, I'd say, a fair amount of risk given where I was at the moment. But it is all paid back in so many different ways. And most notably, talking about the Boys and Girls Club, is uh, a guy, a brother named Jakai, who was a sophomore here at Delaware State uh, when I met him and told me openly that he was homeless. Mm-hmm. And when he said it, I said, brother, how long have you been homeless? He said, since I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. He was a Boys and Girls Club kid. And uh, somebody told him that Tony Allen was working at Delaware State. He should, he should meet me. Mm-hmm. That brother came in. Like I said, he had been homeless since he was a sophomore in high school. And I thought about all that grit it would take for a homeless 16-year-old to become a sophomore at Delaware State University and not tell a soul or ask a soul for help until that time. Mm-hmm. And I recognized I was where I was supposed to be. Jakai now is a Baltimore City public school teacher. Wow. That's what's beautiful. Cause yeah. you know, you, once you get the information, you can take him in. I said, Jakai, you're working for me. You'll have a room, you'll have uh, food in your belly. Mm-hmm. And when you get through this process, what's gonna happen is you're gonna have a new burden of responsibility because you're going to be talking to kids mm-hmm. who are literally going through the same things that you have experienced, and you found a way through it. So when I see you, brother, and I do mean this, when I see you out there rocking, and I know a little bit of your story, it makes me think two things. One, he has to make sure that he is getting his full worth, because if he does that, and when he does that, or while he's doing it, he is going to expose himself to somebody who looks just like him, but might be 10, 20 years younger, and is saying to himself, oh, that's another way to be and be positive and do good and live in my passion. Mm-hmm. So what I love about us is you're going to always find me in, in a tie and a, hopefully a fly suit. Right. Hopefully. Hopefully a fly suit. Hopefully. <laughs> right? But you, you're going to be in a whole different kind of gear. But we are doing the same work. Absolutely. That, that's, what, that's what gets me up every day. Listen, interview over. All right, we're done. That's all we <laughs> <laughs> <That's all we're laughs> No, 
I mean, as you said, I mean, I mean, we can definitely we can go so many different ways with this interview. That's why I know I'm had to come back. We're probably going to do this interview in front of right. you know a, a big group, but we're talking about passion and giving back. How important was the Boys and Girls Club for you growing up and just being involved with it, even now and as an adult? I know you you know you've been involved with the Boys and Girls Club for years in some capacity. How important is it to, to give to this organization for the kids and, and for the organization itself? You know, I think it's critical. And I can tell you, when I was growing up, I wasn't as much a part of the clubs, the Boys and Girls Club. I was in, involved in another community center. But when I got early 20s, right out of college, I got very involved. Mm -hmm. Norman's Future Stars was one of those ways that became Dream Chasers. Dream Chasers stayed at Boys and Girls Club for 20 years. And uh, I met... Young man after young man, right, that I really wanted to go play basketball. That's what Norman's Future Stars and Dream Chasers are. We were saying, you're going to think it's a basketball program, but it's really an academic program. Right. And it's been up and running now for a long, long time. And, you know, the thing about Boys and Girls Club is they can take a whole bunch of children and give them an array of opportunities to be successful. So there's, they recognize every child, particularly every black and brown child, is not the same. They all have different dreams and aspirations. So you have to give them choices because they have so many limited choices mm -hmm. in their normal environment. They have to get a lot of choices so that they can try and fail, see what they really love, and then be spurred on by that passion. There's one guy here, a guy named Vaughn Homer, who was a part of the Future Stars too, who was a great athlete, played football in college, et cetera, um, but really wanted to be a scientist. Mm -hmm. He is a PhD scholar at Delaware State now Wow! and I met him and mentored him since he was 12. Wow. From through Norman Future Stars. Yep. And all that. Now I, like you said it's important to give people the the option of choices. HBCUs are now starting to get more exposure because mm -hmm. I remember you know honestly if you didn't have a parent that went to an HBCU in high school, if you went to predominantly white high school like I did, you you didn't hear much about HBCUs. You know, you seen certain things on TV, but you didn't get information. Yep. Nowadays, HBCUs are coming more, um, getting more exposure um, in the last couple of years. But how important is it for you now being named by President Biden as, and, and, and you can give me the official title, because I don't want to mess it up. You are the- The chair of the White House Advisory Board on HBCUs. So what exactly is that, and how important is it to expose even the younger younger youth in these communities about HBCUs. It's a it's a real important position from this perspective. It was starting under the Carter administration, and it really was to elevate uh, more resources for HBCUs from the federal government. Mm -hmm. And every administration has had to reauthorize it by executive order, and they have. But they have, it has had its ebbs and flows. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's been very active. Sometimes it hasn't. But given what we have gone through the last 24 months. Uh, particularly these two pandemics, I call them two pandemics, one exposed the other, COVID-19 and racial unrest in a way mm. that all of the world saw it, not just black people experiencing it. Uh, I think elevated uh, institutions like ours. So that window is pretty wide open now, mm. but I, I say this openly, it will close. So what we have to do is get our fair and equitable share now so we can invest in the future. So it's very important from four perspectives, and I'll try to be quick here. Physical infrastructure, you know that a lot of our buildings are old, mm -hmm. outdated, and need to be modernized. That's not specific to Delaware State. That's across the HBCU community, and that's about systemic racism and underfunding. Mm -hmm. we got to do better with federal support for physical infrastructure. Two, our students, many of them come from backgrounds like us. 
and that means that they're from low resource communities. What's, what's that mean? We can take kids from low resource communities, give them a great education, and put them in their passion in a way that they understand that they can be exceptional professionals and exceptional citizens. Think of another set of higher education institutions that can do that when 75%, 95% of their uh, population are first generation or 75% or 95% are, are low resource. Right. That's the best investment in higher education in my view. Third, we can do some research. We can do scholarship, right? So our ability to have a $27 million research portfolio is important too. And we need to make sure that we're getting every dollar that we deserve from those institutions that support that kind of research growth, right? right. I'm not saying we're going to be Hopkins tomorrow, right? But we certainly already have great scholars here, particularly undergraduate scholars, that deserve that kind of investment. And then finally, I always talk about this. When you think of HBCUs, if you're not very familiar, you probably know Howard, Spelman, Morehouse, and a few others, right? Right. But there are a set of smaller HBCUs, there are 101 of us overall, that need and deserve support and attention to. And we believe the White House Advisory Board is gonna do that as well. So those are our four priorities, and I think now is more important than, than ever before because we have somebody in the White House, in President Biden and certainly Vice President Harris, that understand it up close. President Biden started his first Senate campaign right here at Delaware State University, mm -hmm. and he was standing next to Dr. Luna Mashu, one of the great HBCU presidents in, of our time. Gotcha. Look, look, that's great information. Since you said uh, um, Dr. Luna Mashu, one of the great presidents um, in our modern time, definitely here at Delaware State University. Like I said, I'm, I'm gonna go back to I was interviewing Dr. Harry Williams, my man, a couple couple years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it might have been was it, I don't know if it was his last year or not. And I think that was the year you became the provost here mm -hmm. at Delaware State University. And I asked him a question. I said, "Is Dr. Tony Allen going to become the president?" Too? <laughs> and he, like, like you know what I mean? He, he laughed. He laughed. He joked. I, we have a real good relationship. Yeah. And uh, and he laughed. And because he was the provost, I remember Dr. Williams. We came yep. in at the same time. He's a provost and he became the president. And here we are now. You're the 12th president. How important is it for you to leave? to build, and you know, I'm pretty sure you're gonna move on probably after 20 years. Hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, well, however long it takes. I think, you know, and I'm being honest, as an alumni here and being a, um, a Delawarean, Wilmingtonian, I want Delaware State to go to hire, like, I want us to be named the Spellmans and the Howards. So when you became the president, I was like, okay, all right, all right, let's do this thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I know you bring a lot of energy, but how important is it for you to take Delaware State University to the next level? That's a good question, and he, here's what I'd honestly say, uh, and this is my mama talking, but uh, 1 Corinthians 10 is but by the grace of God, uh, there go I, but but though I labored much more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but God's grace. Uh, and the three words that are profound to me in that is yet not I, I'm saying about me. Um, this is really about elevating an HBCU whose time is overdue and has now come. What I want us to do, all of us, alumni, faculty, staff, and students, get our heads way up, mm -hmm. recognize not only the history, but the quality of what we've produced over 130 years, and take what's rightfully ours. Mm -hmm. So when you see uh, Delaware State looking at uh, Wesley College and saying, we need to acquire that institution and be the first HBCU to do something like that, mm -hmm. we did it for a couple of reasons. Yes, we are growing beyond our bounds. Um, yes, there's 
exceptional resources there that we could take advantage of. But if you know downtown Dover and where Wesley is, on one side of the campus, strong middle to upper middle class. On the other side of the campus, some of the poorest communities in yeah. Delaware. Yes. Right? So they need us. They need us there. Not just getting an education or doing research. They need us in that community as partners. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things that when I think about the legacy of our time on earth, that's how you want to build. You want Delaware State University be the, to be the place that I've been trying to get to all my life, right? Because yeah. I experienced them when I was at the summer camp or at the early learning center or at the early college high school or at the sports camp. And they have something special just for me. You notice we were with middle schoolers in HBCU week uh, last week. And I told those 150 kids, what other institution can say proudly that we built this institution just for people like you, Mm -hmm. just for young people like you, literally sight unseen 130 years ago, Mm -hmm. young people like you. And I can say that about every member of the Boys and Girls Club up and down the state of Delaware. So it's really about how do we build that collaborative in a way that's not about any individual legacy, but about our community's legacy and what that means for black and brown communities, not only in Delaware, but across the country. Absolutely. And I know in, 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 Forgive me for, for diving into this because, you know, we talk about the, the African-American community and sometimes we butt heads about where we should go, what's good for us, and, mm-hmm. and certain things. That's, you know, that's just within our culture and our community. When we acquired Wesley University, what backlash did you get from some of the alumni and some people through, just throughout the state? And how did you handle that? You know what I mean? Well, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of back- backlash because Wesley had changed. It was certainly, it's 100, 147 years old. Well, did you get any backlash? Well, well, yeah. I'll tell you this. We had, uh, it was a predominantly white institution as it started for many, many years. Yeah. Right? But the last couple of decades, many of those students looked like our students. Absolutely. And um, that, that attracted me right away. In fact, Wesley was considered a minority-serving institution. It's a federal designation. They call them MSIs. Mm-hmm. What, what I got was, Delaware State ain't going to do that. You know, I announced that we were going to try to acquire them a year before we did it. Mm-hmm. Most people, they're not going to. Not go, they're not going to be able to pull it off. Right. And I literally, in my mind, I don't, I don't get too heady about this, but in my mind, I was like, watch us work. Right. I'm going to show you the talent that exists at this institution. When we put our mind to something, we can get something done. And I feel very proud that we got that done. I was there. I was there when we – I wasn't there to do the groundwork. with that. Oh, y'all did all that stuff. That's, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I still don't know how we did it. I got to tell people, that's not my lane. I'm, I'm an energy producer. I can talk to people and, and do my thing. Um, which I had a, the great opportunity to go ahead and be the host. That was great. Uh, when we had the signing here at Delaware great. State University. Now I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. Kind of go into um, some personal stuff with you. You're very ambitious, which I, I watched the Barack Obama uh, documentary they had on um, HBO uh-huh. that came out recently. And I always loved uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. I loved them. But I think I have a new admiration for Obama because I seen how ambitious he was. Mm-hmm. He had a goal. He wanted to go do this. And he just kept progressing, kept progressing, kept progressing. And I look at you in the, in the same light. I'm not kidding. You're very ambitious, which I love. And I want to be on that level of ambition. But on this journey, what has been the biggest struggle that you guys overcome? That's a great and, question. And, and the reason why I ask that question because – I always tell people Obama's biggest struggle and fe- well, I would say his biggest failure is when he lost, um, I forget the gentleman's name, but when he was running for legislative 
in Chicago, which actually became his greatest success because then he ran for Senate, mm-hmm. things opened up, and, mm-hmm. and, and then it just, you know, he became president, things happened. What has been your greatest struggle along this process that probably propelled you to being who you are today? I'm going to try to be brief, but this, this is a hard question because um, I've committed to myself to always answer it honestly, particularly when I'm speaking to black brothers. Um, when I was uh, getting my PhD, so that's like 20 years ago now, I brought my son. My son was eight at the time, my oldest son. And uh, I remember we were in the car, and um, I said, son, do you like your dad's a doctor now? He said, he's eight now. He said, dad, that's great. I just want you to be my dad. Mm. And I can tell you that I put all my eggs in the professional basket at significant risk and it's and enough loss to the personal basket. So lost marriages, family, um, trying to rebuild relationships with my children. That has all been a constant struggle for me. So I now tied 51, I now say, look, you can have all the ambition, which I think you need, but you need to know that going home and being there, being present, is always the most important thing. So you see me run a lot, but when I'm home, I try to be with my children and with my beautiful fiance. You know, and, and I try to make some boundaries in ways that I wouldn't have made those boundaries when I was 40, 30, 25, and it cost me. So it's a cautionary tale because I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed uh, with the desire I have and with some of the things that I've been blessed to accomplish. But I want to tell particularly brothers like you, always be careful to know what's important. At the end of the day, what's mm-hmm. important or what you have brought forth or produced and who you produce that with. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I definitely understand that. Like you said, as, as, as a black man, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine about growing up where we grew up at or the type of environments we, we grew up in. As any black man, when you want to become something bigger than yourself, you have to sacrifice certain things. Like you said, you were very ambitious, but sometimes that got in the way of you being a father and doing certain things with the family. And we have those struggles, and no one teaches us how to handle that. Yeah. Like earlier on, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you just said something that I'm definitely taking in the heat. Like, okay, cool, I'm definitely taking notes because, you know, I want to be something great. I want to be ambitious to that level, but I know sometimes it comes at a cost. I think anything comes at a cost. And, when, you know, I got to tell you, Blake, what you have to be careful about is because um, I, I was so ambitious. I was kind of like, look, either you're on this train mm-hmm. or you're not on this train, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the people that loved me and cared for me were saying, look, I want to be on the train, right? But let's modulate what's happening here, right? Particularly if you say, you love me, which I was saying, right, mm-hmm. to my children, to my wife, all those kinds of things. But saying it, and really being able to say, look, we're doing all of this together uh, is more than a notion. So you really have to be intentional mm-hmm. about it. It doesn't mean I don't work late nights, um, do wild things with respect to my schedule. All that, all that stuff still happens, but I have boundary setters now in a way that I just didn't have before. And some people will say, well, Tony, that's because you've acquired a reasonable amount of stuff now. Mm-mm. It's because I lost so much. Mm-hmm. That I want to be intentional about that and tell brother, look, ambitious brothers like you, don't you don't have to do it that way. Right. So, what way should you do it? I think um, first of all, I think finding a partner, not only that you love, 
but understands um, your vision and ambition and you do the same for her mm-hmm. is critical, right? Not just that they, they're on your train, right. but you're on theirs too. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. absolutely. That, that is critical. Absolutely. That is critical. Um, and if you're able to do that, um, you'll, you'll understand that sometimes you go into um, a certain place that may not fit your vision or alignment, and other times you're going to another place that might not fit hers. Mm-hmm. But I, every time you're doing it, you're going together. So that's the first thing. Fine. In my view, anyway, yeah. find the right mate. The other piece is always. This is what I love about you. Always do the thing that's directly in front of you, in a way that nobody else can replicate. Mm. I have had so many people, particularly when I was at Bank of America, come in my office, brothers and sisters usually, asking to be Tony. I want you to be my mentor. And I ask them, well, what is the first thing you want to do? They're talking to me about the next job they want, as opposed to are they doing the job that's in front of them yeah. in a way that can't be replicated. Right. You, have to, you have to do that. Because if you do that, people will give you more stuff and they will open more doors Absolutely. for you. And then I'd say the final thing, just as you think about it, is this notion of always giving back, even when it's hard. Uh, my, one of my friends used to tell me, it matters at the head, think with your heart, it matters at the heart, think with your head. Which for me means sometimes you're gonna make some decisions that nobody, nobody understands. Bank, totally of, Bank of America was very good to me. It was not easy financially to leave uh, Bank of America and come to Delaware State. But I knew it was time, and it has all worked out. It hasn't worked out in my time, but it has all worked out, and I couldn't be more proud or pleased to be where I am today. Listen to that. He said, listen, okay. <laughs> he said, leaving Bank of America was hard financially, and you became a president of a university. That means you were killing it at Bank of America. <laughs> You told me give my money. Look, no, but you just um, it's just a move, yeah. right? It's just yeah. um, what what you believe. Like you know, the the other thing for us, because you know, most of us come from tough backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have the same kind of opportunities. Um, we don't have. We can't see the same kind of examples as some of our counterparts, right? From their fa- our families, our fathers, our uncles, etc. So really, when somebody tells you, sometimes you got to make a lateral move, or sometimes you got to take a pay cut to get to your real dream, we're like, no, nah, it's not supposed to work that way. Yeah, yeah. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you do passion first, the money will come. That's what I've learned. Okay. If you stay with passion first, the money will come. I totally agree. I mean, I agree a thousand percent from the perspective of passion. I think passion and purpose. I think you can find a way for your purpose to align with the passion. I think you just got to figure some things out, right? Yep. I think you just got to use the skills. Because I think... You know, my passion, I talk about failures, dope, and all that stuff, and that becomes my, that became the purpose for me. I have a passion for hosting, entertaining, and it's when you get to a certain point where you really understand how, I always call it the puzzle of life. You know what I mean? When you first go to the store and you see a puzzle, you're like, okay, that's where I want my life to look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You look at it, and outside of puzzles, okay, cool, that's what I want. But what happens is you dump those pieces on the ground. And a lot of people get discouraged. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna put this together? It's gonna take me forever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fear. But how do you build any puzzle? You start from the outside. You build those that, that foundation of who you are and a character. And I think as you start to build pieces and things become more visible, you start seeing this puzzle starting to form, which gives you more motivation, even though you got a ton of work to do, but now you see it starting to form, such as like when you see certain pieces, like I got to the point where I see certain pieces now. 
yep. I can see them. And the more you, you start to put that puzzle together, it's easier to find the pieces. Now, you talked about, like you said, sometimes you got to make a lateral move to go to the, the level of where you, you want to go to. And I was telling a friend of mine yesterday, I said, sometimes you got to take a couple steps back to get a running start to go make the leap. That's right. You know what I mean? So, you're, I mean, you're just speaking but to re- the kind But remember, though, Blake, yep. remember, remember what I said, rep- replicate. No one that I know of, and I don't mean just in Delaware, in the country that I know of, can replicate what you do. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I mean, I can't adequately describe HBCU Week writ large. Shout out to A. Chris. Um, but your role in it, unless they see it. You know what I mean? You have mm-hmm. to see what is happening here. What that tells me is once you all figure out how to elevate it or something like it further, sky is the limit. They're not even going to see you coming. And when yeah. they see you coming, I'm like, oh, oh, we need to connect in a much different way, which means you're going to be, op- you're going to be operating in the same fashion you are today. Your ambition is not going to grow. You're just going to get ambition, your same ambition operated on a higher level. Then another door is going to open up, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be the same ambition operated on a higher level. And if you figure that out to your puzzle point, the sky, brother, I'm telling you. I agree. I'm telling you. And then there are going to be a ton of people trying to say, I'm trying to be like Blake. This guy. I see why he's the president, okay? This, guy, <laughs> look, this guy's good. This guy's good. Now, look, I know, I, know, look, I, know, I know a good guy who could, yeah, anyway, we'll leave it alone. All right. Um, here's the last question for you. I know you got to go. I always like to ask people, what was the biggest failure? Actually, before we get there, really quickly, before, before I get to that question, what was – what are your top five best decisions that you ever made? Five? Five. Give me five. Um, I'd say my four children. That's four. So AJ, <laughs> AJ Naomi, that's four, Brooks, that's, that's and four Jacob, decisions. Okay. Right? And um, the best decision, best decision I've ever, I don't know if I made it necessarily, uh, but the most important moment uh, for me was the 20 years I spent with Jim Gilliam Sr. every Sunday um, for three or four hours, yeah. learning, really learning how to be a man when I was 20, 20 25. Mm-hmm. So to have 20 years of that from somebody that's 50 years my senior was my best friend, could call it like he saw it, pulled no punches, yeah. prepared me for every moment I'm living right now. So those four kids and those 20 years with Jim. I appreciate that. Now, here's the last question. Like I said, we talk about failures a lot. What has been the biggest failure that you had to overcome or still trying to overcome? I would still, I would say, um, and I feel like I'm in a really good place now, but I would say uh, my relationships uh, with women, personal relationships, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've had a couple of failed marriages, and uh, I'm not um, shy about talking about it. Uh, but it still feels like I, I, um, it's, I, I look at it with deep regret still. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, hoping to get it right and engaged, as you know, to my high school sweetheart now, uh, who holds me accountable in such a different way um, that I very much appreciate. But that, that balance, again, I think is important because, um, you know, sometimes people see me on social media with Tara and they say, you, you, you have a different countenance, a different look on your face, which I can't tell but know deep down that's real um, because of uh, one the fact that I want to get it right and I think 
our connection, meaning sometimes the train going this way, sometimes the train going that way, but we're on the same train okay. together, mm -hmm. uh, is going to uh, pay big dividends for us uh, for the rest of our lives. There you go, man. Listen, Dr. Tony Allen, I know you got to go. I appreciate you coming on through and being very open and candid. Of course. Um, and I know we got a lot forward to look forward to. We're going to take this thing to a new level. You ready? All right, brother. Appreciate you. All right, man. Dr. Tony Allen, I'm Blake the Brain, and this has been the Boys and Girls Club podcast. We'll see you next time. State. State. <laughs>